Believe in yourself, cause it starts with you, and then everyone else will believe you too. And if it looks like you're the only believer around, just keep on believing, don't put yourself down, just believe. Our guest this week grew up in Sydney, Australia, and earned a Master of Science in Executive Leadership from the University of San Diego. From 1987 to 2022, he was chairman and CEO of WD40. And since 2000, he's been the founder of The Learning Moment. He co-authored a book with Ken Blanchard entitled Helping People Win at Work. Known as the culture coach, his name, Gary Rich. And I'm Jack Krasula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. I'm Jack Prasula. This is Anything is Possible. And with Gary Rich, affectionately known as the Culture Coach. Gary, welcome. An honor to have you. Hey, Jack. It's just a pleasure to be with you. Can we start by you talking about your childhood in Sydney, Australia, and your mom and your dad, please? Sure, yeah. I grew up in Sydney, Australia. My dad was an engineer. Well, actually, he started as a fitter and turner. He was born in 1907. He worked for the same company for 50 years. Uh, and my mom was a homekeeper. Uh, my mom actually lived till she was 99 years and nine months old. She only passed away about nine years ago. So she had a great journey of life. Uh, so I grew up in Sydney, went to school there, uh, went to my high school in Australia called Des Moines Boys High School, started my career uh, in retailing. I was a management trainee with one of the largest retail groups in Australia at that time. They were named Waltons. And uh, I completed the management trainee program and graduated uh, with a management certificate, went to night school studying distribution, and uh, eventually uh, ended up leaving Waltons and going into the wholesaling business. I was a, a sales rep, uh, ended up joining the, the licensee of WD-40, a company called Hawker Pacific as the um, as the sales manager. Uh, uh, that's how I met the folks at WD40, and then eventually um, in 1987, WD40 asked me to join them, and I opened the Australian subsidiary on July 4 with a fax machine under my bed. And for the next six months, I uh, I spent time uh, you know, putting the the organisation together, and we started trading on January 1, 1988, in Australia. Uh, what's the biggest thing you learned from mom, and what's the biggest thing you learned from dad? Um, dad, uh, he was very much about a word's man, a man's word is a man's bomb. Uh, and from mom, never give up. Um, she was someone who was always very positive, uh, and she was always someone who was encouraging me to go for the sky, uh, not in a an aggressive way, but more as, you know, you can do anything if you set your mind to it. So, in fact, my email sign-off for many years was believe in yourself, never give up, take one day at a time. We all have something significant yet to do. How was it you got to America? Um, I was working for WD-40 in Australia. 
And uh, I was having a conversation uh, with my then boss in 1994. So I'd been with the company from 87 to 94. And I said, is there anything else you'd like me to do? And he said, would you move to the United States? And I said, to do what? He said, we want to take the blue and yellow can with a little red top to the world. You seem to have a passion for expanding our business globally. Why don't you come over here and help me? WD-40, I believe, was invented for the Rocket Chemical Company as early as 1953. Let's go back, way back. How did it first start? So, uh, yes, correct. The company was called Rocket Chemical Company. It was based in San Diego. And it was in the business of manufacturing and developing products uh, in the areas of corrosion uh, and protection. And there was a challenge with uh, condensation and corrosion in the umbilical cord of the Atlas space rocket. And the, two, the chemists at the company that time got together and started to work on putting formulations together to see if they could solve that problem. There were 39 formulas that didn't work. The 40th one worked. It, that's why it's called WD, Water Displacement 40th Formula. They submitted it to Convair, who was the contractor working in the space program. It won the tender, and the, the brand was then born. How many people know what the formula is, Gary? It's a secret formula. Um, the formula was never patented. It's a trade secret, so it's never been disclosed. It's written on a styrene, a styrene notepad in pencil in a vault. And, of course, today there are a number of people under you know, confidentiality that know the formula within the company. But um, we still manufacture or have manufactured for us that, if you will, secret source, the secret ingredient that we then, or the WD-40 then ships to contract packages and they add that to other ingredients to end up making the, the final product. But the, the concentrate formula is, uh, is the formula that's secret. It's like, you know, the secret formula for Kentucky Fried Chicken or, or Coke. Um, we're talking to Gary Ridgen from 1987 to 2022. He was chairman and CEO of WD-40. What's a few of the most unique uses of WD-40 you ever heard of? Well, of course, there's many, many uses, in fact. On the WD-40 website, there's a list of 2,000 uses for WD-40. But over my time, I've heard some very interesting uses. There was uh, one that I think is, is kind of cute. There was a lady in the Midwest of the United States that had a bird feeder in her backyard. So if you can imagine a bird feeder, it's a pole with a, a plate on top. And she used to put uh, you know, the bird feed in the plate. And she used to have squirrels who used to like to kind of scamper up the the uh, the pole and eat the bird feed. Uh, so she really thought, how am I going to fix that? So she actually used to spray the pole with WD-40 so that the squirrels couldn't uh, get traction to get up and, uh, and eat the bird feed. Um, but, you know, there's other many other uses that people have had. You know, we say with WD-40, there's always another use. Well, think about how many dads have sent a daughter or a son out of the house, out of the nest. And they've told them, you know, if something's broke and you got to put it back together, get duct tape. If something won't work, you know, it's clogged up, get WD-40, right? You can't go wrong. Yep. You can't go wrong. So yeah. stuff they don't teach you in college. I believe that you're selling over a million 
plus cans of WD-40 every week throughout the world. We're talking. I, I'm guessing it's probably more than that. Uh, I don't know the exact number right now, but it's a lot. All right, we're talking to Gary Ridge. If you want to learn more, www.thelearningmoment.net. And I'm Jack Rasula. And this is Anything is Possible on 760-WJR. Welcome back to Anything is Possible. I'm Jack Rasula, and we're with Gary Ridge, who co-authored a book with Ken Blanchard entitled Helping People Win at Work. When I heard you speak at Notre Dame a couple months ago, and you put up the value statement, mission statement, et cetera, et cetera, I was amazed when you said WD-40, we're in the memories business, and our mission is to create positive, lasting memories. There are many ways that our products use that create these positive, lasting memories in the hands of our end users. Whoever came with that innovative concept? Well, Jack, you know, if you, it, it was really there where we thought about the true purpose of an organization. You know, imagine a place where you go to work every day. You make a contribution to something bigger than yourself. You learn something new, you're protected, and you're set free by a compelling set of values. You know you matter, and you know you belong, and you go home happy. And why that's important to us is happy people create happy families, happy families create happy communities, and happy communities create a happy world. So in thinking about memories, um, what is something that people can never take away from us? Memories. So when we thought about WD-40, the brand, it did create positive, lasting memories. We had thousands of letters from people who tell us that, you know, this is how I fixed this problem and it created a wonderful memory. Or I remember when I was working on the farm with my granddad and we used WD-40 and we'd sit by the tractor and have a conversation. Or I was working, you know, with my mom doing this, handiwork and so 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 it became very clear to us that the brand itself delivered positive lasting memories and what if we took that and expanded it into how about we create positive lasting memories not only for the people who use our product but for the people who come to work at our company every day for the people that we work with our vendors and our customers and for the communities in which we live, and for Mother Nature as well. So it really did bring us together, and our, our purpose is we exist to create positive, lasting memories, solving problems in factories, homes, and workshops around the world. We solve problems and we create opportunities. So it became very clear to us that that, that was something that we could all get excited about. And, um, you know, that whole thing was really the cornerstone uh, of uh, our, our culture as we, we started to grow around the world. All right, you're known as the culture coach. Gary Ridge, what is culture? Culture is a combination of two things. Um, do I matter and do I belong? If you think about it, we, we think about human beings. We call ourselves a tribe at WD-40 Company because 
culture is about a group of people that come together to respect and protect each other. Um, so there are many elements that feed into building a very strong culture. But it's the if you think about I, when I was at school back in Australia, um, I had a science teacher, and the science teacher said to us one day, "We're going to grow some culture," and and they gave us a petri dish, and we the science teacher said, "Now let's think about growing great culture. What does the what is important about growing a great culture. And, and obviously the first thing that's important is what do you actually put in that Petri dish that enables you to build a great culture? And the second thing is how are you as the scientist going to take care of the culture? So in an organisation, if you think about an organisation, what do we need to put in that Petri dish? Well, we need to put people-first mindset. We, it's, it's the people that matter. We want to be coaches, not managers. We want to have a clearly defined, authentic purpose. We want to have a hierarchical set of values. We want to have a transparent and simple vision. We want to have learning moments that reduce fear. In other words, we want to take fear of failure out. We want to be sure that we add belonging, acceptance and connectedness. We want people to feel secure. We want to support them. We want to be inclusive. We want to respect people's identity. And we want to have care, candor, and accountability and responsibility. So you put all those ingredients into your leadership petri dish. And now as a leader, you've got to not only love your people enough to feed the good elements of the petri dish, but you've got to be brave enough to make sure that you attack any toxins that may want to enter that dish to sour that culture very quickly. Periodically, you hear somebody say, culture will eat strategy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. Why so? Well, there's a great coach by Larry Sand. He says, culture is not an initiative. Culture is the enabler of all initiatives. If you think about business, you have two things. You have strategy. And we can all put a pretty good strategy together, Jack. You know, let's write a strategic plan and take it down to some smart professor and what do you think about it? And they'll mark it up and say, fantastic, 70 out of 100 for your strategy. But if only 20% of your people go to work every day and are passionate about executing on that strategy because there's a stinky culture, then 20 times 70 is 1,400. But if 80% of your people go to work every day and are passionate about executing against that culture, which means, as I said earlier, they're, they're making a contribution to something bigger than themselves and they're learning. 80 times 70 is 5,600. So a lot of business leaders think it's all about strategy. Certainly strategy is important, but it's not all about strategy. It's all about culture that empowers and amplifies your strategy. We're talking to Gary Ridge. If you want to learn more, www.thelearningmoment.net. And he spells Gary, G-A-R-R-Y. Gary, how does one propagate his or her culture throughout their entire organization? Consistently. So firstly, I have an algorithm for culture. Culture equals, and the equal sign means happen when it happens when. You have values plus behavior times consistency. 
So you need to have this compelling set of hierarchical values to protect people and set them free. And you've got to have behaviours within the organisation that support those values. Now, in the book that I wrote with Ken Blanchard, we talk about values a lot. And we talk about actually having people understand what the behaviour looks like. You know, the, the video needs to match the script. And a lot of organisations say they have values and you walk in and they've got these pretty things you know, framed up on the wall. But the behaviour that you see in the organisation doesn't match. Therefore, people lose confidence in and aren't ever acting within those values. So they've got to get embedded. So what we did is we embedded them in our coaching discussions. We asked people to share with us how did they live their values in the last during the blank X number of days? What did they do to you know, make it better than it is today? What did they do to do the right thing? These are some of our values. What did they do in the last 90 days to create a positive lasting memory? So once people adopt the values, they have to be embedded in the behavior. And the leader's job, and remember in culture, that word consistency, we have to consistently live those behaviors day after day after day. We're talking to Gary Ridge, the founder of The Learning Moment, and he's been doing that since 2000. When we come back, we're going to talk about a leader and a coach. And I'm Jack Rasool, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. This is Anything is Possible. I'm your host, Jack Rasool. I'm with Gary Ridge, affectionately known as the Culture Coach. Gary, I quote you. The difference between a manager and a coach is purpose. Please. So, you know, if you think about what we're, in, in what we're there to do in our organization is we're there to help people with coaching step into the best version of their personal self. And what's important about that is that's very purposeful because our purpose is to help them. You know, many years ago, I was on a flight from Los Angeles to Sydney. I was in a Qantas 747 somewhere over the South Pacific Ocean at 38,000 square feet. It's 38,000 feet. And as you often do when you're on long flights, you have, you know, a folder with articles and things you read. And I was reading an article and I read this. Our purpose in life is to make people happy. If we can't make them happy, at least don't hurt them. And it was attributed to the Dalai Lama. And I thought, wow, if we really were to live that purpose, we'd have to be a great coach. That's what we need to be. So if you think about a coach, you know, Adam Grant has a great quote. He says, it's easy to be a critic or a cheerleader. It's harder to be a coach. A critic sees your weakness and attacks your worst self. A cheerleader sees your strengths and celebrates your best self. A coach sees your potential and helps you become a better version of yourself. So what is the role of a coach? Well, you know, when we were together at 
Notre Dame a few months ago, I was able to you know, paint a picture because of that beautiful you know, field stadium that's there. And I said, imagine if we're all in the, the seats of this stadium waiting to play a game, watch a game. And they didn't put up the goalposts. And the coaches didn't come out of the locker room. And the timekeepers were not there. The team would run on the field and they would run around and become tired and they wouldn't know what to do. And you, us, the customers or the spectators, would not be delivered any positive lasting memories. So if you think about a great coach, number one, a great coach is committed to helping the player get a no. So he knows the, no, the game and he knows what it takes to win. So what I mean by that, he knows where the goalposts are. He puts the goalposts in the field and he helps the player play to the goalposts. He doesn't, or she doesn't, ever run onto the field and take the ball. Great coaches don't do that. They spend a lot of time on the sideline observing the play and giving feedback to the players on how they can make that goal or win that game. They add a lot of value to the player with feedback on how to improve the play. They never, ever, ever go to the podium to take the prize. And they spend much time in the locker room building trust. So our role as leaders is to help those that we have the privilege to lead win by understanding the game, understanding where the goalposts are, knowing what, what the rules are, in other words, the values, and helping that person step into the best version of their personal self. And that's a true purpose. That's an absolute true purpose because we are making a positive difference in people's lives. I quote you again. One of my other mates is Simon Sinek. And Simon says, leadership is not about being in charge. It's about taking care of the people in your charge. That seems to me backwards. That's chaos. <laughs> Not really. Uh, you know, we need to love and care about our people enough, not only to reward them and applaud them for doing great work, but we're brave enough to redirect them when they're not playing for an A, particularly, you know, understanding that we're not trying to protect our own comfort zone at the expense of other, someone else's growth. So, yes, we're there. We're not in charge. We're there to take care of the people in our charge because without those people, we can't achieve. You know, if you think about, again, the coach of a football team, he doesn't really achieve much. He helps those he has the opportunity to coach achieve. Now, that coach has to be skillful and understand the game. But without the players, the coach has no success. All right. A couple more things you say. Leaders have a heart of gold and a backbone of steel. Leaders are champions of hope. Leaders know micromanagement isn't scalable. Leaders treasure the gift of feedback. Gary, you're like that crocodile Dundee guy. You know, maybe that works <laughs> down under, but you go to New York City, that doesn't fly. How did you make that kind of stuff work? Well, I think, you know, if you get, if you think about what servant leadership is, and, and, and Ken Blanchard says, saying you're a servant leader is a good start, but it's your behavior that makes it real for people. So I invented 
as someone called Al or Alice, the soul-sucking CEO or leader, who have behaviours that they're probably, Jack, not aware of and how those behaviours actually impact those they have the privilege to lead. And you're right, you know, they want to micromanage. They want to have their nose in everything. You know how uncomfortable that is. Their ego eats their empathy instead of their empathy eating their ego, which means that it's all about me, me, me. Um, so, you know, I think it's about understanding how your behaviour is impacting those that you have the privilege to lead. There's two things that are very important to people. Do I matter and do I belong? Do I matter and do I belong? So whether you're in New York City, Sydney, San Diego, Beijing, Beirut, or London, treating people with respect and dignity does matter. All right, another thing you say. Three of the most powerful words that you know are, I don't know. You, you can't be a politician today and say, I don't know, uh, unless it went bad. Why tell people that you don't know? Well, we don't have all the answers. And if you don't know, then you can at least let people help you find out the answers. And, you know, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And saying I don't know is just showing vulnerability, admitting that you know, there's areas that you're not necessarily competent in and that other people around you can, uh, can, can help you. So, you know, you don't, we don't know it. I used to introduce myself as, G'day, I'm Gary Ridge. I'm the consciously incompetent, probably wrong, and roughly right chairman and CEO of WD40 Company. Because in most circumstances, I was probably wrong and I was roughly right. And I just got comfortable with that because that allowed others in the room who were a lot smarter than me, I must say, um, bring their brilliance to the table. And that's sort of what I want. A great leader is there to unlock the brilliance of others, Jack. Because there's a, there's, as Ken Blanchard would say, not one of us is as good as all of us. So why wouldn't we want to bring out the best of others? We're talking to Gary Rich, affectionately known as the Culture Coach. If you want to learn more, www.thelearningmoment.net. He spells his name G-A-R-R-Y, Rich. And I'm Jack Rasool, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. Jack Rizzula, host of WJR's Anything is Possible, the weekly radio visit, brings his 15 years of inspirational storytelling to hardcover. With God, anything is possible. Anything is possible. 15 of Jack's more than 750 tales of defeating odds and achieving the extraordinary. Like Bob Woodruff, whose job covering the war in Iraq nearly cost him his life. And Nick Vujicic, the limbless evangelist who has stunned millions with his message of acceptance and grace. With God, anything is possible. Order now while signed copies are still available at trustinusllc.square.site. That's trustinusllc.square.site. And as Jack says, Make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spohol. Anything. 
I'm Jack Rasula. This is Anything is Possible. We're talking to Gary Rich. From 1987 to 2022, he was chairman and CEO of WD-40. You talk a lot about servant leadership. If there's a small business owner tonight that's listening, what's the best thing he can do to be a servant leader? Um, be transparent. Um, love and involve their people. Uh, be competent. Be an ever-learner. Be connected with your people. Um, introduce learning moments, not mistakes. That's reducing fear from your organisation. Uh, as we've said, you've got to have a heart of gold and a backbone of steel, which can also be said leadership is a balance between being tough-minded and tender-hearted. Most people can go to either end of that scale pretty easily, but it's the genius is being in the middle understanding that it's not about you. Um, it's about those that you have the privilege to lead. And always ask for feedback. You know, how how can I understand something, do something better? So but vulnerability is important. You know, caring for your people is so important. Have care, candor, accountability and responsibility is what I often say. You know, candor is no lying, no faking, no hiding. I believe most people don't lie in organisations. I believe they fake and hide, and they do that because of fear. So your job as a servant leader is to reduce fear. Um, fear is one of the most disabling emotions we have as human beings, so why do you need it in an organisation? So be very deliberate about that. I quote you again, we don't have mistakes, we have learning moments. You mentioned four pillars, care, candor, accountability, responsibility. Talk to us about accountability, if you would. So most, a lot of people let people down because there's not clarity around what we're going to hold, and I'm going to use the words each other for. So accountability is not a one-way street. It's a two-way street. So, you know, I think, and as we've said in, in the book that I wrote with Ken Blanchard, you know, which is Don't Mark My Paper, Help Me Get an A, uh, it's, it's about... What are we going to hold each other accountability for? So what do you expect from me? And in turn, what can I expect from you? And accountability is doing what we're supposed to do. So what did we agree? When are we supposed to do it? So, you know, what's the timeline around that? And, and what's the standard? What, what does an A look like? If an A was to walk in the room today, what would it look like? And, and I think that's hugely important because if we don't describe what that A looks like, how are we going to get it? And, you know, Dr. Amber Selkin, who we met out at Nature Dam, she's the team's mental performance coach, and she talks about these three attributes of accountability, doing what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, to the standard you're supposed to do it to. So I think that's what's important. And again, it's Jackets a two-way street. The fourth pillar, responsibility. You talk about the main, the maniac pledge. Can you share the maniac pledge with us, please? The maniac pledge is a pledge of responsibility, and we developed it. So we gave people through words permissions, and uh, I'll share it with you. It says, "I am responsible for taking action, asking questions, getting answers, and making decisions." 
I won't wait for someone to tell me. If I need to know, I am responsible for asking. I have no right to be offended that I didn't get this sooner. And if I'm doing something others should know about, I am responsible for telling them. So this is a pledge of, of responsibility, not only a responsibility of you know, uh, yourself, but what's your responsibility around sharing with others that you interact with, work with, connected with every day? Since 2000, you've been the founder of The Learning Moment. It's a ministry. What's the basic ministry of The Learning Moment? If I can accomplish one thing, it would be to help companies create a workplace where culture, culture where people go to work every day, knowing their efforts make a contribution to a cause bigger than themselves, where they feel safe, where they feel protected and set free every day by a compelling set of values, where they learn something new and try new things without fear. I think that's the ministry of the learning moment because we as, a, as businesses today have a huge responsibility. And I don't think we take it as seriously as we should because we impact so many people every day. So if we can create a culture that rewards people for being who they are, where it's a culture where people do know they matter and do they know they belong, they will do mean, meaningful work. They will go home happy. And as I often say, and I've said it earlier in this call with you, happy people create happy families. Happy families create happy communities. Happy communities create a happy world. And we need a happy world. Amen. We're talking to Gary Ridge. If you want to learn more, www.thelearningmoment.net. Since we met a couple months ago, you have sent me an email every day with a motivational quote. Some of them are fantastic. Most of them are fantastic. Where do you keep coming up with these? Uh, I collect them in my in my journeys. Um, I've probably got about six or seven hundred of them in in a, a digital file. And every morning, wherever I am around the world, um, I get up and I, I sort of skim through these and I wait for one of them to talk to me. And when it talks to me, I then share it with my group of people, my audience, that uh, get that. And it's called uh, The Learning Moment for Today From, and uh, it's from wherever I am. We're talking to Gary Ridge, who co-authored a book with Ken Blanchard entitled Helping People Win at Work. You may know the name Ken Blanchard, motivational speaker, author, 60 published books, famously the one-minute manager, has sold over 15 million copies. Tell us about Ken Blanchard. Oh, I love Ken Blanchard. Um, Ken is the most giving servant leader I've ever met in my life. There are three people that have had a lot of influence in my leadership style. One was the Dalai Lama, the other was Aristotle, and the third one is, is Ken Blanchard. Um, and he is the guru of servant leadership. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, he's a mentor to mine, a dear friend of mine, and my life wouldn't be as rich as it's been if it wasn't for what I've learned from Ken Blanchard over the last 25 years. Another thing you talk about is the gift of belonging. 
what COVID did for so many young people in the last three years has been brutal on them as far as belonging. Why is it so important for people to be part of a tribe, to belong to something? Gary? Well, because we're, we need the psychological safety. We're, 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 we're herd animals, whether we like to believe it or not. And we're, when we're together, we get the opportunity to share, to share what's good, what's not so good, to get other people's point of view. You know, and Jack, to get a hug. A hug's not a bad thing, right? Um, and I mean, that's so important. So, you know, belonging is about learning and teaching and, and, and just being together. And you're right. You know, when COVID hit, we were forced to separate. We've got to come back together again um, because we need connection. We need each other. Uh, we need to be able to share with each other and show each other love and care. You're great at talking about all of this stuff, but Gary Ridge, you're even better at doing it every day. What you do for hundreds of thousands of people is amazing. Please keep up the great, great work. Thank you. It's, uh, you know, life's a gift. Don't send it back unwrapped. Please join us next Saturday. Until then, I'm Jack Krasula. Thanks for listening, and make it a great week, because with God, anything is possible. Spall. Believe in yourself.